come to one of those texts where the chances of me stepping on somebody's toes in the, in the congregation are, are strong. There's a high chance. So if your toes get stepped on today, uh, you can come make an appointment. We can talk about it later. <laughs> right, we'll do that. I feel like um, it's one of those texts, as I, as I do this, uh, as I start to talk about the foundation of what we understand in Christ and what, what we have in Christ, that the foundation of the text really must be two things, that when we come to the text, we have to learn to set aside what we think it says and read it. Have you ever read something that you thought you've read over and over again and then it always turned, somebody else read it and it was different? You know that uh, the human eye is sort of funky with the way things are read, that you actually, if, you, if you're pretty sure you know what it says, then you'll read that. And so I, w- I want to do that. And the second thing, this is foundational to everything in Christ as Christians. And that is that our relationship, our love relationship with Jesus and thus God is central to every relationship we have. That is the love we have for Jesus, the love we have from Jesus, the love of Jesus in us flowing to other people is central to every single thing that happens in Christ. This is what we know as being filled with the love of Christ. Some places in the scripture, one of its synonyms would be filled with the Spirit. Because you won't, you won't be able to do the work of Christ until you are filled with the love of Christ. Before anything else, before you do anything else, this is the foundation of what we're going to do. And I needed to say that because initially I had a three-part sermon, but I realized this morning that there was no possible way I was getting to the third part, so that'll be in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we'll get to that later. And I know your, uh, your bulletin says you're going to handle uh, Ephesians 5, 18 to 6, 4. And I'm not getting out of chapter 5 today, so 6, 1, 2, 3, 4 will be at another time. So I just I just know I don't have time for it. So let me read this. This is too important to rush. This is Ephesians 5, 18 to 21 first. We'll talk about that. And then we'll go in to the husbands and wives text. Okay, so some of you are sitting there going, that. so this is 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Is there any other... Um, words in in our world that you can get drunk with? Have you ever met somebody that was drunk with power? Um, Another way of doing that would be filled with the world's ways, drunk with the world. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today. But be filled with the Spirit. I love the big buts in Scripture. There's a bunch of big buts in Scripture. This is one of them. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So whenever you get to those buts, you've got to pay attention. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Now in that, there are Six ways that you know that you can see that you can see when somebody else is in is filled with the spirit of the Lord. Let me say evidences. I hate that word because it's not really what it is. But you can always tell when somebody when somebody's got 
like a murmuring, unhappy heart. You can see that in them, can't you? It kind of flows out of them everywhere they go. But you can see the love of God in certain people, and you know that that's where it comes from. So these are the six things, the hallmarks, if you will, of being filled with the Spirit, speaking in harmony with each other. Do you know how to do that? you know how to get along and speak in loving terms and be in a good relationship with people? And sometimes that means that, like, you have something you need to tell them, but you don't tell them exactly the most harshest way, but you speak kindly to them because your motivation is that you love them. Singing amongst ourselves, singing together. We worship the Lord together. That's a hallmark of being filled in the Spirit. It doesn't say sing well. It doesn't say, say sing badly. It doesn't say sing in four-part harmony. It says sing together. The third one, making music in your hearts. How do you make music in your heart? This is an attitudinal thing. This is the spot where understanding poetry is important to us, okay? So does it mean that you actually become a composer of music and you do that in your heart and then you have to learn how to read music and do that? No, it means that in your heart, you start to be at peace and love and, and the things that flow out of your heart flow out of that song of praise. The fifth one Giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God in everything that comes from Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God. It does not say giving thanks to God for everything. You know the difference between giving thanks in everything and giving thanks for everything. So if you believe that you have to give thanks for everything, pretty soon you're giving thanks for the car wreck. Really? No. You give thanks that you survived the car wreck, that everybody's okay, that, that God still loves you, that the, car, that the car is just a car, but you give thanks in everything. And then the last one, submitting out of reverence for the Lord. Submitting out of reverence for Christ. That's a, that's a toughie. That's the hard one. But as you submit to Christ, then you learn how to submit to others because he asks you to. That means that you're not out there going, well, I really love my Jesus, but taking anything from you no that's not what that means the opposite of that drunk on the spirit of the world drunk with wine drunk with power instead of speaking in harmony to each other you'd be ordering people around have you ever met somebody that just likes to be in charge and they just order everybody all the time and and nobody ever is in charge of them I've seen I've seen people with too much wine do that, too. They just forget that there's there's a way to be nice to people. They just start ordering people around because they don't know any better because they've they've taken a chemical and modified their existence for a little bit. That's what that's what alcohol does. Right. It modifies your existence. Okay, so instead of singing amongst ourselves, they start murmuring and creating disharmony. You know what a murmur is? You can almost hear the teeth grating underneath it. I just don't like them when they do this. I wish they wouldn't do that. You know what? It's almost in the Old Testament, murmuring has a synonym. Are you ready? Sedition to the Lord. When you murmur against the Lord, you're, you're um, trying to start a revolt. Just on the side here, do you know what the difference between a revolution and a revolt is? One wins. Right. 
So when you're, when you're murmuring, you're trying to start a revolt because you're not going to win that battle against the Lord. Instead of giving thanks for everything, you start using everything to get your own way. And instead of submitting to each other, you start taking from each other. That's mine. I get it now. You used to do it. Now I'm doing it. You know, the American ethic, he who dies with the most toys wins. It's a, it's a method. It's drunk on the world, if you will. There's one other little topic that I need to talk about before we get in here. Fear of the Lord. I've got my notes here to make sure I talk about this. Fear of the Lord is not four words that you look up their individual meaning and then you add all their meanings together and you get that like Philadelphia brotherly love. Fear of the Lord is a completely untranslatable sort of Hebrew topic that is it's it's a it's four words that are all hyphened together. It means one thing. It means that you're into a spot where you don't get it and you're not in charge and you know you can't be in charge and reverent awe and sort of discomfort at being not knowing what's going on sort of takes control of you. Do you know what it means to be discomforted in your situation, to not know what's coming on? Do you know what the standard way that humans deal with that? Peter shows us all the way throughout the Gospels. I just love Peter because he gives us a whole bunch of the bad examples to, to not follow. <laughs> he, he goes up to the... He goes up to the the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus takes him and another up there, and, and Moses and Elijah show up, and Jesus is as burnished brass, and, and, and instead of sitting there going, I don't know what's going on, maybe I should be quiet and let this moment wash over me so that maybe I can understand later, he says, it's good for us to be here, Lord. I can make a temple for each of you, and we can just worship you. And God interrupts the moment and says, no, this is my son. You listen to him. By the way, if you're reading that and you didn't think it said temples in there, they're, they're, they're doing this thing. It's one of the spots I really dislike about our English Bibles, that they just don't say. He literally says, it's good for us to be here. Let me make a tabernacle for each of you. It's not shelters. It's not tents. It's a place of worship. And so if you're in up in that mountain and you're seeing Jesus and Moses and Elijah and he wants to worship Moses because he brought the law and he wants to worship Elijah because he's the face of the prophets and Jesus is there, you've made a mistake. <laughs> right? You have stuck your foot in it where it didn't belong and you stuck it in deep. But fear of the Lord does this. Um, Humans try to do this. Now, now, to be honest, Peter is trying to normalize, or, or the word I would use of this, he's trying to terraform the situation. He's trying to make it earthly so he can fit in and understand it. The example I think about this the most is when we took our kids to the ho hotel. How many of you have ever taken kids to the hotel and had them start to act differently and they jump on beds even though they don't do it at home and they do all that? You know what they're doing? They're trying to find out where the rules are and if they're the still the same rules that they were other places. They're terraforming their world. They're trying to find out where it is and be comfortable. Peter, that's all Peter's trying to do is he's trying to take something from God and make it understandable so he can live there. 
But the problem with the Bible, and some of you have mentioned this to me, do you know there's places in the Bible you're not ever going to understand it very well? I just want you to start getting used to that thought. There's some stuff in the Bible that God's going to explain to you later when you're, when you're, when you're better. <laughs> right? When you're more human, when you're who he made you to be, and finally sin is revealed. By the way, there's all sorts of things in the world. How many of you understand physics? Okay, so you're already used to not understanding some things. You just, just have to apply that crossways into the Bible a little bit and get used to it. But, but as we read our text and as we do this and we read into it, it's the same thing we do with texts that say things we don't like. I'm about to get to one of those texts. That we read into it the things that make us comfortable to make it like our world so that then we can be comfortable and know how to live there. The ancient world had a bit thing of this. All the philosophers would give a conduct code. How can you live in spots you don't understand? You can always live by this code. If you just do this thing here, you'll be okay. And they all did that. They all did it, always in a hierarchical way, that they would start with the most important person in the room and they'd move down the thing. So I'm going to tell you that Paul puts the entirety of the conduct code of the household code that everybody there would have known on its ear. And if you think he doesn't, let me start. So the most important person is where you start conduct codes. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Every conduct code in the ancient world dealing with family life started out husbands. Head of household. This is already, everybody in the room would already be nervous because something they know is wrong. For the husband is the head of the wife, also as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, before we get into the husbands because we got these two little sentences for wives and a whole paragraph for husbands i want to say this how many of you submit to christ because he forces you have you ever been forced to submit to christ does he woo you into a willing submission does he 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 comes alongside and and says Come with me. This will be better. It'll be better. So you can't force anybody to love anything. You can't force. Well, you could force people into submission, but it's not a loving submission. Let me make sure we say that. And so this doesn't say submit, period. What it says is submit to your husband the way, the way you submit to Christ. Remember, there's no force here. Okay, husbands, are you ready? I want you to grab your pew. There is one way, by the way, and I'll get to this, there's one way that is absolutely not possible to read this when you read it. It's the way most people read it. So let's say, <laughs> husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Okay, so this is a touchstone moment. I'm going to, before I go on much further, I need to say this. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane story where Jesus, Jesus is up there and he's, He's, he's struggling 
with the sacrifice that he's going to make for the world. And what's he say? He says, Father, let this pass from me, but not my will, yours. How much does he love you? He loves you so much that he won't leave you here, and he thought of you before himself. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. This is Jesus, how much he loved her. That he came to spend three three years with them teaching. By the way, there's a parable of the fig trees that, that he comes and he says, if the fig tree won't, won't uh won't produce fruit then we'll we'll dig around its roots for three years and we'll do that do you know what jesus is doing with this three-year ministry around the nation of israel that is the symbol of the fig tree he's digging around the roots and he's pouring the teaching onto it to see if it'll make a difference please god make a difference that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects the husband. There is no way that you can read this and be a husband. Now I'm a husband, and I'm speaking to the husbands for a second. There is no way you can read this and come out of it and say, I need you to obey me. There is no way to get there from this text. And and I know that churches teach it. Husbands are the head. What does the head mean? Well, you've all seen one person, you've been around them, right? That they, They just wash their face, but they never wash any rest of their body for the whole year. And everywhere they go, they look good, but they smell bad. That is not the way this is. People take care of their own bodies. This is the way it is. The ancient world was slightly different than ours, though, and I want you to hear this. That if a wife was being beaten, and uh, Genesis 34 kind of kind of nudges around this in the Dinah Shechem story, so if you want to go check that out, you can do that. But, you know, if you were a wife and you were being mistreated, do you know how many brothers you had? They'd kind of go take care of that. You know, behind the woodshed, out in private. But the ancient world also was not a very nice place for families, for kids, for parents. As long as the dad looked good, everything was good. This is not that way. This literally says, if your wife doesn't look good, you're not good. This is a judgment on the way the world does things and turns it on its ear. There's no possible way to read this otherwise as Christ loved the church. And just in case you were wondering if it was okay, be filled with the Spirit, not with wine. Don't do it the old way. 
There's another text here. It says, have the mind of Christ. Are you ready for this? What is the mind of Christ? There's one place that tells you what Christ's mind was like. This is from Philippians 2. I will pick it up at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, obedient to the point of death, even the cross. That's the mind of Christ. So husbands, if you feel like I've got the bony finger of indignation pointing at you today, I, not at you specifically, but maybe a country that has long said and read the text the way they wanted to read it and then said that's what the Bible says. The technical term for that, if you want the $5 word for it, is isogesis. Exegesis means that I read out of the text and I explain the text to you. Isogesis means I read whatever I want to into the text and then I tell you what I think it says. Now I'm telling you that, the, that, that Paul makes sure that he starts before this text, he talks about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And just in case nobody got that, all throughout this text is as Christ, as Christ, as Christ, as Christ. And Christ, by the way, always ever woos people into a loving relationship. So even if this were a hierarchical statement, which it is not, which you can't read it that way, if I'm honest with you, you just take it down and rewrite it in your own words sometime and make sure the words, it does not say that. It says that you should be wooing and caring for for each other and loving them and and so wives let me ask you a question if you had a husband that that didn't come around and stamp his feet and say you have to obey and do it my way and do all this would you honor them that's not that hard that's what it says they're going to do this and you do this by the way lives this is the foundation of our relationships with each other The foundation of our relationship with others always starts with our relationship with Christ. And if you don't get that one right, something's going to go wrong in the next bigger relationship. Right? So if it's me and Jesus, I've got this circle, me and him, and he's working on something with me. And by the way, he works on me. I've got stuff wrong. If you really need to know it, you can ask Karen. She can tell you. Or you ask me because I'm... I'm fairly aware if you just ask, if I ask God what's the matter with me, he'll tell me right off. And so inside this circle, I've got this relationship with Jesus. Before other people are involved, I need to be right with God. And on top of that comes a slightly bigger circle, me and Karen. And if we don't have something right in that relationship, when we get into the family situation with more people involved, it's going to go bad. And if you can't get it right in the family, when you get into a church, is it going to be okay? If it all starts down here with this loving relationship with Jesus as he pours his love into you and you start to learn how to be loved. 
and how to love. This is a radical thing. This is not the way the world says to do it. This is all your relationships upside down, isn't it? But I get to be in charge. No. You get to be in charge the way Jesus was in charge. Which, by the way, had him asking God to do it a different way, but him accepting it anyway. I'm making a decision here. We must, we must learn how to submit ourselves to what the Bible teaches us, not what we think. Here's an example of it. When we all get to heaven, what a joy it will be, right? The song? What's, what's, a, what's the Lord's prayer say about when we all get to heaven? You say this prayer every Sunday morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. It doesn't say thy kingdom go and take you with me, take me with you. It says your kingdom come. It's a spot where we read what we want to read into the text. Your kingdom come and be filled in me and live. This is, this is one of those texts. I know that this is the Rosetta Stone for understanding everything about the mind of Christ is Philippians 2 that I read. If you want to understand how Christ was, then you need to understand that he was equal with God but didn't think equality was something he should hold on to, but unity was a bigger deal, and so he stayed unified with God rather than pressing his own rights. And, and I find it hard to believe. I just, I just can't get this picture in my head of Jesus stamping his foot like a petulant child and saying, I want it my way. Can you get, does, that, does that jive with everything you know about this Jesus dude? Does he go around and go, I want it. No, he does not. He woos. He understands that, that loving care cannot be forced. And that the head requires a body to live. And you take good care of the body because you want the head to live. Not a Doctor Who movie where the head comes off. I've seen that recently. We must live this life of fear in the Lord and let the fear of the Lord, this reverent awe of not knowing the way it's really supposed to be, let it wash over us and come into us. And instead of trying to make it the way we always understood it to be, accept that God is doing a new creation and he's not trying to make the new world like the old world. The old world has some problems. We're still feeling them. But this new creation has new things. And, and instead of coming into the situation and saying, well, I think it ought to be this way, we need to let that work of the Holy Spirit come and flow through us. And instead of us normalizing the situation, we need that Holy Spirit to acclimate us to the new situation which is that we love each other so deeply that those relationships, the submission would be easy if we know that the other one loves us. I know that submitting to Jesus is much easier now that I know how much he loves me. 
to wives, submitting to your husband is much easier when you know that they deeply love you, isn't it? And that they really are taking your interests at heart and all that. Husbands, you, it's just not possible to do anything other than to remember that we are to be speaking to each other in love, singing songs and worshiping together, having a melody in our heart. That little piece of poetry in there that means that the root of your heart and everything that comes out of you is joy and peace and comfort. Giving thanks in all ways, submitting in all our ways that Christ does not force love. The whole story of the Bible is the story of a God who understands the world isn't perfect and he kind of kneels into our less than perfect situation and says, see this one little spot right here, I want to change it. Today, the call is for our relationships to be right. To be in mutual submission to be in a spot where we care and woo each other into it. Now, I, I, I want to say this. I said this in the first, um, first service, and I want to say it here. So say you're on the prowl for a husband or a wife. Some of you might be. Some of you are not married. I will give you the advice I've given to high school kids, by the way, I've to, and to pre-college kids and college kids, and I just gave it again to my daughter, and she goes, Dad, I know. So I asked her to figure out, or high school kids, to figure out the, the eight, nine, ten traits of somebody that you'd like to be married to. So for, for a Christian, maybe one of those traits would be a Christian spouse, so that we can talk about the Lord. So, so as you create your nine things, I want you to ask yourself, as you start to look at that and you create your list, Am I the type of person that that person would like? That's a different understanding, isn't it? I want this really super person, but I'm maybe not. So, so you got this list. And by the way, when you're choosing and meeting somebody and you have your nine items here, I've told my daughter this. This is not a five-four decision. Make sure it's eight to one. If you have 14 items, it's 13, you know, 13 to 1, 12 to 2, because you need so much overwhelming because you're a pain in the neck. Now I'm talking to me. That, that, and you need to become the type of person that this person would like to be married. Because you can't do anything about the person you marry being who they are. Now I can get a witness from the married folk in here. Can you change your spouse one little bit by yourself? What, what causes your spouse to change? The desire to change. The desire to change. And, and how do we change? I mean, we've been through this the last, couple, the last month and a half in Ephesians. The need to change comes between a decision between an individual and Jesus for the love of somebody else. Now, I might like to be a pig pen, but I know my wife doesn't like it that way. And because I love her, I change a little bit. Just a little. Maybe it's that little. I don't know. I don't know. She can tell you. I don't make near as many piles as I used to. Now I make one bigger. No, I'll, 
but this is the way it is. And so we become the sort of people that somebody else would like to be. Well, that's back down to this one relationship with you and Jesus, me and Jesus. And everything flows out of that. Marriages flow out of that. Church life flows out of that. Bumping into people in the grocery store flows out of that one relationship first. There's more to say, I'm not going to. So I'm going to put this up here for now. Will you, uh, there's always going to be more to say on relationships, isn't there? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Will you wash us with your word? As, as it seems to say something that we didn't think it would say, help us be changed. Help us take that to heart. Help us be different. In your precious name, amen.